Before we get started, a quick disclaimer. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only. Nothing you hear is an offer or a solicitation to buy or sell any investment. With that, hello and welcome to the Rangely Capital Podcast. I'm Andrew Walker, Portfolio Manager at Rangely. With me as always, my co-host and Rangely's founder, Chris Demuth. Uh, today we're having a our quarterly 13F podcast, and then at the end we'll talk about fear in the market or, you know, in, until today, I guess, kind of the Latin thereof. Uh, so just a quick reminder on what a 13F is. Uh, once a quarter, any investor who manages about $150 million or more has to file with, an, with the SEC a list of all of their positions. Uh, now, the data is stale, so it's a snapshot of their uh, positions as of, in this case, March 31st, and they're filing it you know, around May 15th. So you know, if you're looking at kind of a programmatic trader, a high-frequency trader, a really macro betty type trader, it doesn't have uh, – it probably doesn't mean too much. Uh, but these are widely watched specifically for what really uh, deep fundamental investors, you know, Warren Buffett being the one who really comes to mind, what they're buying and selling, what they're accumulating. Uh, so, Chris, I'll, I'll just kind of flip it over to you with that background in mind. What are you seeing in 13Fs this quarter? Just generally, when we look at these, it's least useful for shorts. Options have least uh, weighted uh, portfolios. Uh, most useful for values, you said, and also activism. Just on the options, it's kind of funny because, you know, if you're looking at something that on March 31st, options expire, you know, April 17th or 18th. So that's a natural one where a 13F, it means nothing. The option, if it was the next month's option, it's already expired. Anyway, a little just minutia, but I just wanted to add that. Uh, you know, you look through uh, the world of uh, filers. Uh, I would start with Berkshire. It was interesting because he kind of preempted the 13Fs to make some uh, very public mentions, such as uh, selling down uh, some of his IBM uh, right before the meeting, knowing that uh, that would be something that might come up that he might want to discuss. Uh, but the big is doubling Apple. Yeah, I, I mean, look, he, his Apple stake is worth... Just shy of 19 billion. We'll be friends here and we'll round it up to 20 billion, but uh, doubled his holdings Apple. It's now one of his largest holdings. And, you know, just something I thought was interesting. Uh, he was a little bit late to the game, but he caught a lot of the, the Apple big run over the past six months as kind of the stock market ran up. People got excited about the iPhone refresh cycle. Tax reform really benefited them. But he's been adding over the past couple months and a lot of longtime famous value investors bulls on Apple. And I, I'm pointing here to kind of David Einhorn, a lot of the Tiger Cubs and Tiger management, a couple others. They were actually selling into this big run up, reducing their positions over uh, the la- over the last quarter. So, you know, everybody sells for different reasons. Every Everybody only buys for one reason. Anybody can sell for different reasons. Portfolio management, maybe they don't see it as value. But he's really adding when a lot of other famous value investors are uh, kind of cutting their cutting their bets here, and his comments in the last few weeks have not been wildly bullish. He kind of has spoken to uh, this uh, as a position that he quite likes, but uh, kind of caveated that with the run up. So it was interesting to see that he was buying uh, throughout. Uh, but this could be uh, a big uh, philosophical kind of phase of his career. You had uh, a a Ben and Graham uh, value investor, you had a uh, Mungerite, uh, and now you have somebody who's really looking at these huge uh, tech companies uh, as something that he 
could uh, have Berkshire look a lot more like in the future. Yeah, and, and you know, one thing I thought with him adding Apple while everyone else is cutting back, uh, we've mentioned this on the podcast before, Buffett at, at his size and scale, you know, we mentioned his, his stake in Apple is $20 billion. Most companies aren't $20 billion. So there are really only 20, 30, 40, 50 companies that he can even look to put his money into. A lot of these other people who are selling Apple, they only manage four or $5 billion portfolio, portfolios. And I use only in quotes, but it, it could just be at his size, Buffett can't see anything else to put money into. Whereas these guys can kind of look at the most of the universe of investable stocks and are saying, hey, at this point in time, Apple, you know, in Einhorn's case, GM looks like a better bet to me. I'm going to go park money over at GM or, you know, everybody's got their own thing. But that could be kind of one of the things here. And again, I don't really have a viewpoint uh, one way or another in Apple. So I'm much more armchair quarterbacking than uh, really deeply diving. It really changes your philosophy when you have a fund where it's kind of pigs at the trough. You have a priority. Another priority comes up. You have to uh, prioritize between the two. Uh Historically, prop desks, but Buffett's very much in this category. It's just you have essentially free capital, and if not unlimited, not very limited uh, a quantity of that. And he was uh, grousing at his annual meeting about how crappy uh, treasuries are. Uh, if you said a PE of the uh, of the of your uh, T bill portfolio, you know it's uh, very uh, expensive and lousy as an investment. And uh, he thinks that he understands his risk here and the downside and it's better than nothing but it really only needs to be better than nothing yeah so let's turn to a couple other we mentioned david einhorn a couple other times a couple times uh he runs Greenlight capital we mentioned that uh on our march 29th podcast we mentioned his proposal to unlock the value of gm where he was going to split gm into kind of a he was going to split GM's stock into two stocks, one that would be a dividend stock and one that would just kind of benefit from the growing earnings of GM. Basically, he was saying let's split it, split into a preferred stock and a common stock structure, but he wanted to put it into a little more catchy phrase. But you can understand why he's so urgent. Uh, depending on how you're kind of adding up his portfolio, he's got 30 to 35% of his portfolio in GM, and it looks like about 8 or 9% of that is in call options. So he's made a real bet that GM stock is going to increase. And, you know, through the call options, he's we don't know what how he structured these call options, but if they're shorter-term call options that are closer to in or out of the money, he could be making a very short-term levered upside bet on GM. So you can see why he would make that bet and then go out and immediately start pushing for something that uh, would boost the share price of GM. I have almost never been sympathetic to management pushing back against activists as trying to make this delineation between short-term and long-term. The long-term is made up of short-terms. And while I think that for the most part, the most appropriate uh, time frame for most investors is at least a three or five year uh, period, uh, just to get to statistical significance, uh, that accumulated uh, period is made up of short terms. It's rarely intention. The market's a discounting mechanism. And if you can make me money in the short term, I have uh, 50,000 minus one securities I can invest in uh, if it's successful. So I think that it is generally a pretty vapid uh, defense. Uh, but you hear it a lot from managements uh, hurled at their activists. But in this case, if such a big position makes it um, not illiquidly large, it's a large uh, stock, uh, a, a large, large amount of liquidity in the stock, but um, 
uh, your entire business is sensitive to the outcome in the short term and you have the calls, I think that it would be something that really a management could point to as differentiates that individual investor's incentive from everybody yeah. else. And again, we should say the the 13Fs don't give any detail on how these call options are structured. Mm-hmm. They could be custom five-year calls, right? So we don't know. But it was just interesting to note that he was pushing on March 29th for something to boost the share price of GM. And he, he had these call options in his portfolio at March 31st. You know, what you're saying about the shareholders, it reminds me we've seen a couple of activist battles recently where an activist owns 20, 25, 30% of a company and they come in and they push for a sale. And what the company says is, look, this is not about the activist thinking a sale is in shareholders' best interest. This is the activist saying, I need liquidity. The only way I can get liquidity with a position this large is for you guys to sell the whole company. Sell the whole company because that's what I need. And the company pushes back and said, now isn't the right time to sell the company or something along those lines. So I thought that was uh, kind of interesting. Bagholder activism. In that case, it's not bagholder because sometimes the it's the stock's done well. Sometimes the stock's stored poorly. But it's uh, I guess it's liquidity activism. Liquidity activism. Part. At yeah. least in the case that I, that I, I don't think I'm going to name, but the pop to mind – um, uh, where, where you are stuck and maybe stuck in a good way, but stuck in a situation, it doesn't have as easy a time to read across for a new investor if we're looking at it fresh. Their problem isn't our problem. Although sometimes when they're pitching you the idea, they kind of uh, fail, to mention. They kind yeah. of fail to mention it. Uh, yeah. So, Chris, anything else on 13Fs or do you want to turn over to uh, the lack of fear? Let's turn over. Okay. So, let's turn over to are people worried enough? Uh, look, normally I just pull – for the podcast, I, I do, you do. We just kind of pull headlines from the front pages of newspapers. But the issue with that has been this weekend, all of the oxygen in the room has been sucked up by all of this crazy Trump, Donald Trump news. Uh, you know, there was an article yesterday that said – the president is in crisis, so why are the uh, why are the markets so calm? And there was a big stock drop today. Stocks across the board kind of dropped two percent on the the Comey all the Comey paper trail letters uh, leaking and people starting to bring up the impeachment word. I, I don't really want to go into that, but what I do want to talk about is look. Despite the two percent drop, uh, the VIX rose thirty five percent today. But despite that rise, the VIX is around fifteen. That's kind of a historically normal level for the VIX. Stocks were down 2% today, so that means they're 2% away from kind of all-time record highs that they've hit so far this year. Uh, stocks are up 6 or 7% year-to-date. So, Chris, do you think the markets are functioning as a discounting mechanism and they're just seeing kind of pass all this headline noise and discounting a future that is pretty rosy? Or do you think the markets are too complacent and not dropping enough for impeachment proceedings, kind of turmoil in the markets, healthcare reform failing, tax reform failing. So I'll, I'll toss it over to you. I think the levels are high. The equity market's expensive. Volatility is low. I, I generally uh, tend to be uh, and love to be uh, uh, short uh, volatility in different ways, especially with some of these absurd uh, securities that have been created uh, around it, uh, but uh, wouldn't want to be now. Um, I think that uh, you look at a lot of the uh, scandal, uh, kind of policy DC risk uh, that the markets have uh, in the first hundred days of this administration been willing to overlook. They were ones that kind of came and went. 
there was uh, I, I thought a great a great description of this was in the Saturday Night Live uh, skit uh, where the reporter said, "Did I get him? No, yeah. no, uh, no, nothing matters, nothing anymore. matters anymore." <laughs> and, and, and that's what it's felt like a time and time again. Uh, but we have turned at the corner a little bit into issues that'll be harder to drop. That you know hearings and uh, uh, eager beaver bureaucrats that uh, have very good note-taking skills and things that are going to have tales that, best-case scenario, are many, many months, uh, disrupt uh, agendas, and that will be hard to drop off the headline. And I think that's where you see a day like today kind of coming back harshly. Uh, so I think a lot to date uh, has been kind of, we've, we've kind of, uh, had uh, kind of like how an inoculation works. We kind of had this steady dose of uh, of scandal and intrigue, uh, but that that uh, the, that our dosage has just gone up a lot in the last few days. Yeah, and for me, I, I just wonder. So, look, interest rates have been two to three percent for years, and if you look at a stock market at twenty five times earnings, and you kind of flip it the other way, well, then the stock market's at four or five percent time, four or five percent interest uh, rate of return, and interest. Uh, unlike treasuries, which stay flat, so you get 2% for as long as you hold them, and kind of less on a real return because of inflation, uh, you hope earnings grow. So the stock market represents a 4, 4 or 5% bet that grows. And I just wonder if the low interest rates have just acted as such a siren call for, hey, go put anything into equities. It doesn't matter. You get paid nothing anywhere else, so just go take as much risk as you can. And it really takes something crazy, like, oh my gosh, the entire U.S., democracy might be called into question to really uh, need to pump up the VIX or call into question kind of this uh, uh, this risk-on type trade. So I, I don't know. Uh, I, I'm, I'm not sure. I'll, I'll turn it over to you on your thoughts on that. Yeah, no, I think that uh, the... Uh, and if you look structurally at how uh, people use... So, VIX has been such a funny thing because there have been days and weeks where the world does not feel like we are in a low, just the colloquial yep. sense. It does not feel low volatility, um, but that there are some, there's a lot um, of uh, reflexivity in how, uh, how how this can be sustained as long as you have really low interest rates as the alternative. Yeah. So, and then I I guess the other question is the stock market. You know, drops two percent today. You see a lot of people saying. Oh, you know, how much of the Trump trade has been the world economy has certainly gotten better. And this is a little bit before Donald Trump, like a lot of kind of green shoot site things started sprouting where Europe's economy started picking up. The U.S., uh, the industrial pace started picking up kind of in October, I believe. Mm -hmm. So how much of this big Trump rally has been actually fueled by enthusiasm about Donald Trump getting tax cuts passed, which, you know, if... The S&P is trading at 20 times t uh, fully taxed earnings today, and you cut taxes in half. Well, then it's kind of gone down towards 15 times or something. Mm -hmm. So how much has been fueled by enthusiasm over tax cuts versus enthusiasm over, oh, the stock market's getting better? Do you, do you have any sense for you feel like today's drop is uh, related to just fear versus fear of tax cuts going away? The Policy issues, I, I, I think the, the, the issues over the last few days and then the ramifications of the market today, I, I think really uh, losing, losing the agenda, I think, is a big deal because you could have some uh, disaster for the president. Um, but 
if he sort of hangs on, you could easily still have a disaster for his agenda. You could have uh, 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 the uh, kind of huge amount of friction within his party. Uh, you could have just a distraction for six or nine yeah. months uh, that pushes back everything. I was looking at the prison stocks today kind of getting uh, destroyed. And they, I think, have been an interesting proxy for the Trump agenda because he pulled away from some of the uh, uh, harsh anti-private prison measures that the late Obama administration uh, did and a Clinton administration would have continued. And uh, and those were uh, uh, badly damaged. So, so, so I think some of the, a lot of it is the agenda, I think. And, and I think we've mentioned those prison stocks on the podcast before. The last thing I'll, I'll say is we got a lot of notes from kind of bold up brokers who were saying, hey, like, ignore the news like if trump is in trouble this is even better for the republican agenda because congress is just going to put their head down and they're going to they're going to pass tax reform no matter what without a trump in their way and i mean to me that's just crazy if you're having impeachment proceedings going on and that type of nightly news flow i mean there is no way a congress is going to buckle down and be like let's get serious about tax reform while they're overseeing impeachment proceedings like everybody's going to be focused on that 100%. I just thought that was crazy. I don't know if you you would take the opposite view on that. No, or... no I think medium and long term crazy. In the very very short term in terms of uh, headlines being dominated by Comey for non-administration Republicans, kind of the marginal votes in favor of the extremely unpopular Obamacare replacement, however, they're better off with the Comey headlines, if they yeah. had nothing to, I mean, they were they weren't in those meetings, uh, and uh, and uh, that actually protects them from a policy uh, problem. Perfect. So, look, that's all the time we have for today. Before we hit our disclosures, just a quick reminder: uh, not only is America great again, but if you like this podcast, the best way to get more of them is to recommend us to a friend and get them to start listening. Uh, Chris, I believe our only disclosure is we're long a little Berkshire, but please correct me if I'm wrong. That's it. Okay, great. So we will talk to you guys hopefully tomorrow.